0: Well, our world seriously struggles with contentment, doesn't it? Uh, People chase after contentment, but at best it's always just out of reach. And as much as we want it, our culture is to some extent geared around us never getting it. For example, advertising companies spend millions of dollars trying to convince you that you're not content, that you couldn't possibly be content because you don't have what they're selling. And if only you'll buy what they're offering, then you'll be content. But once you've bought that phone or that car or that house or that holiday, the ad companies are at it again, aren't they? They're knocking on your door, peering through your television, intruding on your internet, because apparently your phone needs this upgrade. Or the house needs that extension. Or you need another holiday. Or they've found something else that you need. All these companies desperately wanting you to be permanently discontent because if you actually were content, then you'd have no need for them. And they do a good job of convincing us, don't they? I mean, when was the last time that you could describe yourself as content? Don't we find ourselves chasing that dollar, that house, that product, that gadget? But it's not just... Things we don't have that make us discontent can be our looks. There's a whole industry out there trying to convince us that what we need to do is to hide that part of our bodies, reshape this other part, surgically modify that part. And then there's the problem of friends, of not having them. Or you have friends, but that particular person isn't my friend and I really wish they were Those sorts of things go on all the time at school, don't they? But we play those games as adults. If we just stop and think a little bit about our lives, we can quickly find things we're not content with. Now, why is that? Why are we so easily discontent? What are we chasing after that keeps eluding us? And if we found it, do we really think that then we would be complete? Wouldn't there be the next thing that goes wrong or the the next thing that we need? Won't there always be the next thing we don't have? No. No, there won't. There's one thing that completely satisfies, one thing that brings contentment, one thing so complete, so perfect, so satisfying that we no longer have want for anything else. And that one thing, of course, is Jesus Christ himself. Paul had learned to be content in Christ, even in the midst of terrible troubles. And he closes his letter by telling us of it, that we might have it too. Paul wrote this letter from prison and the Philippians had come to his aid. And in verse 10, Paul says that it's great that they've been concerned for him, but he's going to use this as a launching pad to teach them and us about contentment. Let's have a look. Verse 10. I rejoice greatly in the Lord, that at last you've renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you have been concerned, but you had no opportunity to show. See, in the past, the Philippians had been concerned for Paul, and we're actually going to read a little bit about what they did for him when we get to verse 14. But here, Paul's grateful for the help that they've just given him. They've renewed their concern for him. And Paul's speaking about how they'd sent Epaphroditus to him with gifts while he was in prison. We saw this back in chapter 2. And Paul acknowledges them for their concern. But the more important thing was that God met all of Paul's needs, not through their gifts, but by teaching him contentment. Verse 11 I'm not saying this because I am in need. For I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. Now, at first glance, that just sounds a little bit backhanded, doesn't it? Thanks for your help, guys, but I didn't need it. I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I would have been fine without you. I didn't need your help, but look, thanks anyway. Now, it's not that Paul's ungrateful. It's just that there's something more important that Paul's trying to do than simply pat the Philippians on the back. Paul's teaching them about Christ and his worth and his sufficiency, that Christ is all you need so that no matter what your circumstances, you can be content. So for Paul, he could be destitute or he could own a palace. It wouldn't matter. He'd be content either way because poverty can't take away Christ And riches can't offer him anything compared with Christ. He's learned to be content whatever the circumstances. Have a look at verse 12. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. Now that is a remarkable thing to say, isn't it? Being in plenty or being in want, Paul's learned the secret of con- being content. Now, for most of us, we're in the category of being in plenty, aren't we? In Australia, we have so much. You most likely have so much. And in your plenty, are you content? Honestly, are you content? Or are you chasing after things, stuff? It's worth thinking through. I mean, what is it to be discontent? Discontentment is not having something that you want. You either don't or can't have it, but there's something you want. You don't have it. You're discontent. So when Paul says he's learned contentment in every situation, he's saying that there's nothing out there that he wants. You could offer him truckloads of money. Wouldn't interest him. He doesn't want it. He can use it, sure, but he's not after it. Or you can strip away his livelihood, take away his home, steal his food, throw him in prison. Still, he's content, not wanting for anything. Sure, he wouldn't mind an income, a home, some food. He could use them, but he's not chasing after them. He's learned the secret of being content. And that's a nice way of putting it, isn't it? The secret of being content. Because contentment is so elusive. It's like a secret, something we're trying hard to work out, but it always seems out of reach if we could just know the secret. Here it is. Verse 13. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. The secret to contentment is that it comes through Christ. In everything, whether Paul has plenty or whether he's in want, in everything, through Christ, he's content. The secret of contentment. Is knowing the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, what is it about Him that means knowing Him brings contentment in every circumstance? Well, it's what we've been looking at as we've been going through the letter of Philippians over the past few weeks. Back in chapter 1, Paul said that to live is Christ. You see, Christ doesn't just make life better, He's not a gadget. To make life fun. Christ doesn't add to our lives. He is our lives. To live is Christ. Because the Lord Jesus, God himself, in the flesh, came for us. Lived for us. Died for us. Came back to life for us. Lives right now for us. Christ has made us right with God the Father. Brought us to him in breathtaking intimacy. The Lord Jesus, he's opened up for us what life is all about, given us meaning and purpose. He's forgiven us of our sins. He's liberated us to be the dearly loved children of God Almighty. And only Christ can do this and more. Paul had come to deeply appreciate the all-surpassing splendor and majesty And sufficiency and necessity of Christ. It's why back in chapter 3 Paul could say that he considers everything a loss compared to knowing Christ Jesus his Lord. There's nothing else he wants because all Paul wants is Christ and he has him. Do you? Do you have? Do you know? Jesus. Do you deeply appreciate the splendor and the sufficiency of Christ? That for you, everything else is rubbish compared to knowing him. And so you're completely content simply in Christ. Because the truth about Jesus is that there is nothing Nothing you can offer us that will tempt us to think that we need something more than Christ. What could we have more of when we already have Christ? It's like offering us a single, solitary, boiled pea when we're already tucking into a full roast dinner and you can't take anything away from us to make us feel like we're missing out, how could we be missing out on anything when we have Christ? It's like taking away a single solitary boiled pea when we're tucking into our full roast dinner. I don't know what it is that you're discontent with right now, but what God wants us to see is that whatever you're longing for, it is manure compared to knowing Jesus. Christ is worth so much more than anything this world offers. Christ dwarfs anything this world might steal away from us. Now, as I've been speaking, are you beginning to feel the difference that this would make to our lives? What, what we're chasing in life and why we would chase after anything other than Jesus? And are you beginning to wonder what a remarkable difference this would make to our emotional well-being? And to our productiveness and our effectiveness for Christ and his kingdom. To simply be content in Christ. More of this in a bit. But for now, let's keep reading. From verse 14, Paul again acknowledges the concern that the Philippians have for him. He does it a second time. Uh, The first time he did this back in verse 10, that led to him speaking about how God's taught him contentment. And so he didn't actually need the Philippians' help. Maybe the Philippians are a bit miffed by that. And so Paul acknowledges them again. This time for five verses. Pick it up in verse 14. Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid again and again when I was in need. Not that I'm looking for a gift, But I am looking for what may be credited to your account. I have received full payment and even more. I am amply supplied now that I've received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. Paul loved the help that the Philippians gave him when he was in need. But not only Paul, God loved it too. Their support of Paul as he suffered for the gospel, it was a fragrant offering, and an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. Like a dad seeing his child get up and set the table for breakfast without being asked. Or the boss observing the worker who goes out of their way to see a job done well. Or, or the friend who just keeps coming to see you in hospital. It's really Really pleasing. God was pleased with the Philippians as they shared in Paul's troubles. He was imprisoned for the sake of Christ, in chains for the gospel, but the Philippians rushed to support Paul in any way they could and God was pleased with them for it. Just as an aside, I don't know if you have had or have a dad that you could never please. Nothing was ever good enough for him. Dads like that are a tyranny to their children. Our Heavenly Father is not like that. He comes right out in the open and tells us what pleases Him, how to delight Him. We please God by partnering in the gospel, going into bat for the cause of Christ, supporting those who preach Christ, being involved ourselves in telling others about Jesus. This genuinely pleases God, our heavenly dad. But not just God was pleased with the Philippians for their support of Paul. Paul loved it as well. So in uh, these verses, he acknowledges them this second time. It's great that they've been concerned for him. But more importantly, Paul wants them to know that just as God met his needs, God will meet their needs too. Verse 19. And my God will meet all your needs According to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. Back in verses 11 to 13, Paul spoke about how God met his needs. And here in verse 19, Paul says that God will do the same for the Philippians and for us. He'll meet all our needs. Sounds amazing, doesn't it? All our needs met. But what does that mean? Is that like a never-ending basket of fruit that just keeps miraculously being filled? Is it a jug of oil that never runs dry? Is it always having enough money in the bank to be able to afford the rent or the repayments? Does this verse reduce God to some genie in a bottle who will give us all our needs? Actually, this would make God less than a genie, wouldn't it? Because at least a genie gives you what you want. This verse says that God will give you what you need. So God will give you bread and water, but a genie would give you a three-course meal. Thankfully, this is all way off being. God's much richer than all this silly talk of genies and wish fulfillment. To understand this verse, we just have to read it in context, like we do with any verse in the Bible. Here in verse 19, Paul says that God will meet all of the Philippians' needs. Back in verses 11 to 13, Paul has already shown us How God meets needs. When Paul was in need, what did God do for him? Give him truckloads of cash? No. God met Paul's needs by teaching him contentment. And Paul's saying here that God will do the same for the Philippians. God will meet all their needs in Christ Jesus. In other words, he'll also teach them contentment. In Christ, God will teach them that since they have Jesus, they have all they need, all they want. Now, are we on board with this? Do we want to go where this word of God is taking us? Be honest, if you were in need, scratching around, worrying about how you're going to pay the bills, not sure where your next meal is coming from, if you were really genuinely in need, what would you prefer God to do? Provide you with an unexpected supply of cash and goods or leave you in your need so that he can teach you contentment in Christ? But not just if you had nothing, what about right now? With the plenty that you do have right now, are you content in Christ? Or are you grasping for more? Are you content with your circumstances, with your situation in life? Are you content to look different to the world around you because you live for Christ? Are you content with your strengths and with your weaknesses? knowing that there's things you can't do, things you won't ever be able to do. Are you content that there are people who are more able than you? Are you content with the way God made you? Content with the body that he's given you? In the plenty that you have, the plenty that God has given you, are you content in Christ or are you busy grasping for more for yourself? More recognition more beauty, more stuff, more comfort? Or is knowing Jesus enough? You're content in him and in him alone. Friends, can you see what a gem this is? Don't wait till you're old to realise that life's not about comfort and stuff. Here and now, today... Take your stand and find your contentment in Christ. Commit yourself to him, your God, your Savior. Dive into his scriptures. Find out more and more about the Lord Jesus, what he loves, what he hates. Pursue him in his word to know who he is, what he's done. And what that means for you and for the world. And live out what you learned. That to live is Christ. And so find contentment just in Jesus. And what a difference that would make, brothers and sisters. No more chasing after more and more money or the dream house. No longer chasing after anything else in life. Free from the endless pursuit of more. And free from our feelings of inadequacy because we don't have the right friends. Free from our feelings of inferiority because we're not as altogether together as that person. Your own mind can play tricks on you. Your own mind can tell you that you have nothing and you are nothing, but actually you have Christ and he has you. And he is enough. And so we're free from chasing the approval of others, free to tell the world about Jesus, even if it means that the world rejects you because in every situation we're content in Christ. The world might belittle you, take away your dignity, steal your stuff, rob you of justice, but it's like taking a single solitary boiled pea away from your feast of a roast dinner. Everything else is rubbish compared to knowing Christ Jesus. Are you content in Christ? Needing and wanting nothing more because all you want is Jesus and you have him and he has you and he is enough. Brothers and sisters, he is. He is enough, more than enough. I'll pray. Heavenly Father, please, please, even, even just a glimpse, help us to understand the splendor and the sufficiency of knowing Jesus help us to understand him and who he is and all that he is for us and all that he has done and is doing and will do for us Father we pray that we would lose attachments to the things of this world and instead Father we ask that you would teach us to be content in Christ until he returns living all for him For his glory, for his sake, in his name we pray. Amen.